Welcome to episode 180 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I thought um, for the month of November, kind of a thankful month, at least here in the United States, I would say some things every week that I'm thankful for with doing telepractice. So this week it would be Mm. um, things like not being around contagious (laughs) diseases. When I see students with runny noses or sneezing or any of those things, I just am really grateful that I'm on this side of the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd probably be a lot better if I wasn't sending kids to my own kids to their school and coming back to my <laughs> house every day. I'd have a little bit, you know, less sickness. But um, I know that there's been people with things like they've gone through surgeries or they have mm-hmm. problems with their immune system and are worried about their own health. And I feel like that's such a great option for that. And then we have students that can't come physically to a school where they're exposed to so many things. And I think that telepractice just like opened our eyes to like, oh, there's a way that we can serve these kids and not expose them to things, you know, because we were all were trying to do that during the pandemic. And um, so I'm just grateful that we have that option. I agree. And it helps all of us be a little more healthy. Right. You know, it reduces some of the risk that we have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those of us who have to do both, see them in person <laughs> and do telepractice, <laughs> still get you know, sneezed on and all kinds of stuff happen. Yep. But hey, that's just the way it is. Yep. Yep. And the other thing it does is it's, I feel like it's reduced my absences because of being ill a lot more too. Cause, you know, sure. as long as I have base, there's very few times that I have called out sick in my telepractice career. If I have a voice, if I've lost my voice, I can't work, obviously. And when I had COVID, and that's about it, other than that, because right. I'm not worried about being contagious to my students either, or my kids can stay home and be in the other room and I can check on them. So I feel like there's a lot of benefits to it as far as like reducing missed sessions and things like that. Oh, I agree. I agree. I wish, I I would like to have, I would like to do Maybe not for a very long period of time, but I would love to do only telepractice for a while and not have to do both. But that's probably not going to happen, but (laughs) it would be interesting because that's that's what you do. And I would love to have that experience of only doing telepractice and and just see how it flowed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. You go a little, you get a little cabin fever sometimes, but for the most part, it's a good thing. <laughs> you got to have a window, right? You yes. You have a window in your office. Yes. That helps for sure. Helps. Most of my therapy rooms don't have windows. Yeah. So it's, you know, so you're. Then you have anyway. cabin fever, even if you are getting yeah, out of Yeah, the house. exactly. You're still, you know. Feeling, you know, cooped up in in the middle. Yeah. 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 So who do we have on today? 
We have a repeat um, of a returning guest. And so Marissa Rushlow is here today, and she is going to talk about some um, challenges with contracts and direct contracting with schools and some solutions for those challenges as well. So we're excited to hear from her. Perfect. Let's hear from Marissa. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I'm a co-host of Telepractice Today with my dear friend, Kim Allen. And I just wanted to take a moment and ask you a favor. You see, we at the 3C Digital Media Network, yes, and I am also the CEO of 3C, as we call it, we need you. We need you to maybe develop a webinar that we could distribute for you. Or maybe it's a course that you have in mind that you'd like to share your knowledge and skills. We would want to do that with you. We can help you distribute, produce, and distribute all of those things. We have blogs that you could do. Maybe you want to start in this whole wild world of online publishing and online media and you want to start with a blog, we would be very happy to host that blog on our website. So if you have some ideas about blogging or a webinar or maybe a course that you'd like to offer, or maybe you have an idea for a totally new podcast, you may not know this, but we actually produce five podcasts and it's growing. And so, who knows? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. We would love to talk to you. In fact, I would love to talk to you. I would love to showcase what you're doing, your knowledge and skills, no matter what it might look like. Course, webinar, podcast, blog, doesn't really matter. You can reach out to me at Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. That's T-O-D-D at the number 3, 3C, C as in cat, digitalmedianetwork.com. And I will be in touch. Thank you for considering this. And we'll talk soon. Welcome, Marissa, back to the podcast. Um, is this the third time? I think so. I yeah. yeah. Very excited yeah. to be back. Yeah. So for those that haven't listened before, just give a brief overview of who you are, what you're doing, how you got here. Yeah. So I'm Marissa <laughs> Rushlow. Um, I'm an SLP by trade. I've been doing it for 11, 12 years, something like that. Um, I recently in the past year have actually transitioned out of doing therapy myself and I'm running my company Linguabilities where we do mostly special education staffing, but also some outpatient speech. Um, and so I oversee a number of different therapists that um, do that awesome work for us. Um, I also have a side project, Telepractice Connect. I know I've talked about it on here, um, that membership website where we learn all things about tele, tele everything, right? Um, so those are my two big things that I do. Um, I'm pretty involved in the telepractice community through various Facebook groups or business coaching people or just, you know, kind of sharing my experience and, and things like this. So I'm always excited to talk to you guys. Telepractice is my absolute passion. Um, so I'm excited to see other people that are just as enthused about it as me. 
And and so we know that you've uh, had some recent challenges based on Indeed. some of your postings. Indeed, so, yes. So where where do you want to start with some of that? So I, I guess to give you context of like why I posted this and who it's helping, I, I run a Facebook group um, called SLP Telepractice Business Owners. I, th- I think we took the SLP didn't used to be there. So if people have seen it before, it used to be just telepractice business owners. We did a poll. It looks like it's mostly SLP. So I run that group. And I like to talk about my experience as a business owner. I, I started my business um, in 2014, really rebranding in 2017. So I've been doing it for a while. Um, and you know, a ton of people ask me, like, how do I get contracts? How do I do this? How do I work with schools? How do I market myself? So I like to share some of my experiences and being a little further down the road. Absolutely not perfect. I'm not an expert in it. I never will be, right? We're always learning something. But this year has been really unique. I was just telling you guys, I'm surprised that it's this year, 2023, that it it wasn't either 2020 during COVID or 2021, the year after when we're transitioning back. Those were actually pretty seamless for us. We we got a lot more business during COVID. Great. We helped a lot more people. This year though, has just been a little bit more difficult working with some some school contracts. So we had a, a place that we've been working with for maybe four or five years. And it was a really good relationship that whole time. I mean, we collaborated. If they needed something, we met them. If we needed to wiggle something, they met us. Just really good back and forth and really good collaboration. Um, And we had a a really seamless billing process where we got to do like a flat rate kind of thing rather than it being a nickel and dime. Well, I spent five minutes on an email and I spent two hours on an email, that kind of thing. So it it was really, really great. Um, And then this year, I don't know what happened. So I'll say, I think a big part of it has been a lot of shifts at the district. So changes in admin, who's going to be there, a lot more involvement from finance and legal that we didn't previously have. So like contracts were really scrutinized and pricing was really scrutinized. And I don't think finance and legal understood the the working relationship that we had previously, or maybe it didn't work for them. Um, so, and they also put in a new IEP system. So lots of changes all at the same time. <laughs> We did not have a good ramp up to that. It was just go. And uh, a lot of people didn't do well with that as they probably wouldn't, right? I'm not even mad about it. So um, it took them a really long time to get their contract signed. And this was a renewal. Like it wasn't anything new or different. We actually held off on price increases to help them out one more year. Would not do that again. It was not appreciated. Um, (laughs) That's just hurting me Mm. and my my Mm. therapist. So we finally got it signed. Um, You know, I, I was in that weird limbo where I didn't want to hire people without having a contract. That's not what I like to do in my business. I feel like it's disingenuous. Yeah. Do I have to do it sometimes, but I'm not, I really don't like it Um, because things change. The contract changes. Then I've already got somebody hired and then I have to go, "Uh uh-oh, it's going to be different. I feel like that's not super forthcoming. So um, that's what we had to do this year. We had a bunch of people hired and then finally we got it signed two days before school started. Two. Crazy. And I was like, I can't, I cannot have therapists seeing kids without a signed contract. I'm not doing it. You know, if they want to do like prep work, okay, we can maybe do that, but I will not have them see students. So they got it signed. And unfortunately the first month or two of the contract were really, really rough. Just a lot of nitpicking, a lot of things that we, I thought were our working agreement are no longer Um, a lot of a lack of communication that was so that big, such a piece of that collaboration that we had is no longer there. Like we're begging them to have meetings with us. So we do a biweekly admin meeting um, where Mm -hmm. twice a month we come together and we just say, Hey, what's going on? Have you seen any problems? Are there any changes to your policies or documentation? Anything we can do in our supervision of our therapist to make sure that you're getting a good product. They won't meet with us. I still haven't met with this sped director um, since I went there in April. So um, 
it's, it's, it's just a little person? bit different. Yeah, same person. person. Yeah. Unfortunately, they lost their assistant SPED director. And I think that person was really the one who made sure that we were getting communication and kind of smooth things over that might have been a little bumpy. So I get it. You know, they don't have all the staff that they used to. They're, they're going through a lot of changes. Still doesn't make it any less frustrating for us. So um, unfortunately, as a result of that and all the changes that we had going on, we had a little bit of toxicity with some of the other contractors there. Um, we lost four people in a month. It was it was a pretty wow. bad month. Yeah. And oh, so wow. that was a significant portion of um, you know, the income that we had coming in for the business. Luckily, we haven't lost anything else since, but um, it just makes you go, okay, well, that's not what I thought it was anymore. Um, I knew we were going to have to kind of divorce ourselves from being as reliant on that district as we are. I just didn't think it was going to be as soon as it was. You know, I knew we needed to diversify our income streams and that sort of thing, but it takes time. And unfortunately, another layer on top of that is that some of the other districts we work with or have reached out to are pushing back a lot more on one telepractice and two prices. So Mm -hmm. this year has been brand new where I've had people I've worked with for five years say, you got outbid. We're not, we're not using you anymore. And I said, well, by who? What's the price? Like, can I meet it? <laughs> Won't talk to me about it. And other places oh. are like, well, we can we can pay you $50 an hour. And I was like, I, no, like, that's not enough for me to even pay my therapist. I'm losing right. money on that. So it's really just interesting, like um, going through kind of a new cycle of our advertising and talking to districts and things like that um, has made me learn a lot this year. Maybe we'd just been lucky before and it was kind of smooth sailing, or maybe it's just a different year. I don't know, but it's really opened my eyes to. Um, a lot of different problem solving that I have to do. Yeah. So any like lessons learned or things that you want other people to know from yes. that situation? Yes. Oh, I I'm, I have a whole list in my <laughs> a Word document where I'm like, these are the things we need to change in our contract. I can't list all of them. I won't remember. But one thing I'm learning is that you have you need to have some kind of like early signing incentive. I won't say a penalty for signing late because that's a little bit iffy legally. Um, so it, it matters how you word it, but basically right. like if you sign by, let's say June 15th, you get the best price you sign by July 15th, price goes nice. up a little bit, August 15th, yeah. price goes up a little bit. And the, the point of that is not to be punishing, but it costs me more money to find somebody that late in the game, especially right. if we're doing telepractice. Cause if I can get somebody in June, I've got two months that I can get them licensed and ready to go. And that's a thing that shifted this year in the schools right. too. When we previously had a working arrangement that if people had an application done and in process, we could get them started no longer. I think because finance and legal got involved this year and they said, no, people have to have it in hand. So we're waiting two months mm-hmm. on people. You know, if we had people who left and I'm like, I can't replace them for two months because you have to have a, a license now. And they're like, well, we're just not going to fill it with you. So that's another thing I would oh, say no. is to make sure you have a really good um, reduction of caseload or closing of contract agreement mm-hmm. um, to say something like, you know, if it's not a 20% reduction or you don't give me 30 days notice or that kind of thing. So that's been kind of a tough one this year. Um, what was the other big one? I mean, th- just having it in writing which I knew, but right. I don't think I realized how deathly important that was until we had it two days before school started. You know, you can't rely on anything. All these things we talked about in April did not come to fruition. I thought we were in agreement and it wasn't in writing, so it didn't matter. Mm. Those are probably the big three that I've learned. And do you think some of this uh, is reflective of a trend going on nationally or you know, just a pullback? From telepractice in general, or is it more in your um, local area? I think it depends from district to district. Um, 
Unfortunately, in New Jersey, where we've been talking to some more schools, they can't do it at all, right? They had like an executive order for a while where they could during COVID and then it never got renewed. So you can't do telepractice at all in the state of, um, I think with DOE, I think DOH, like Mm. just the state license is fine, but Department of Ed, if you're doing school services that they require that teaching cert, you can't. Um, So that's been a frustrating Mm. one. We've also had ones where they say, well, it's just not right for our caseload. And I get that. Like, it's not going to be right for every kid. But I come at it from the approach of no kid is to anything for telepractice. I'm never going to presume that they can't do it. I'm going to presume competence. So I want to get in there and try it. One, you don't have anybody to fill that role. Would you rather have somebody now? Or if you ask me to find somebody in person, it's probably going to take six months because I can't pay them enough to, we're looking at some positions in New York City. I can't pay them enough for in-person because the cost Mm -hmm. of living there is just so crazy. So if we open it up to telepractice, I could get somebody who lives in a really low cost of living area. Not that I'm going to pay them less because of that, but just it makes more Mm -hmm. sense to have that dollar go further. Exactly. Yeah. So yes and no. I, I think there is a little bit of pushback on telepractice right now as as we talked, I think last time where people got that bad taste in their mouth from telepractice, I think we're seeing some of that come to fruition now where they're like, well, it wasn't good and we're not going to do anything to fix it. We're just not going to do it. So we're getting a little bit of that. And then I also think some of it is just um, state policies or the caseload that the schools want. You know, they, They're not willing to shift caseloads if we do have students who are too high need. Um, right. If we're if we're going to presume that they're they're not willing to make that shift, so that maybe we get some more of the language arctic fluency kids rather than maybe like the AAC kids. Again, I think you can do it if you set it up well um, and you have the expertise in it. But if the yeah. school's not willing to do it, let's see if we can shift. So just a little bit of pushback in some odd ways, I think. Um, but I don't know all the constraints that districts face when they're trying to solve these problems. So right. it's kind of hard to pinpoint why it might be. Hmm. Have you heard from your therapist any pushback from parents? Because I've had a couple of IEPs in the past mm-hmm. couple of years where the parent really was the one voicing that they were unhappy with mm-hmm. online services. Luckily, very rarely, I think we've had that happen. Maybe a handful of times in the past three, four years. Um, we've been working really hard with the the other therapists who are on site, like if it's a brick and mortar as well as talking to the parents to just alleviate concerns, let them know what telepractice is. We actually created this year a little handout that our therapists can give to parents that say, you know, this is what telepractice is. It's not different from in-person other than the way that you deliver. You know, it's same quality, same ethics, all that. Um, It's it's audio and video. You know, you play fun games or just kind of telling them what it is. Um, If you have any questions, here's your therapist's information so you can contact them. So we've been trying to kind of like uh, get ahead of that before it becomes a huge issue. I've had less issues with parents doing that than like gen ed teachers, gen ed teachers will, or maybe even sped teachers will have a kid who maybe is a little bit more severe. And then they presume that they can't do it before we've even gotten a chance to try. It's funny because like, it seems like when the teachers say boo to telepractice immediately, it gets shifted. But if we say this kid isn't doing well in telepractice, it takes forever to get them put to an in-person therapist. And we very rarely say that, right? I don't want to send them out, but occasionally there are some kids that are just, they're not, it's not working for them, the attention span, or we don't have the para support or whatever. So um, parents, luckily not too bad. Teachers are a little hard. (laughs) Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so- If you have someone out there right now who is starting to, you know, get the vibes from the district that some Mm -hmm. of this stuff is happening, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What what would you advise them to do like right now? <laughs> like if they're trying to um, contract directly or they have a contract like through the presence or something, then they're doing telepractice and they start to get that vibe that there's pushback. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the things I said, like if you can kind of approach it before it becomes an issue, just provide a little right. bit of of uh, education, have that open communication. I've always made it that like, if a parent or a teacher has a question, here's my stuff. If you have open office hours, if I give you my email or my phone, if they're comfortable texting, I know some people aren't, that's fine. Just multiple avenues of I'm available. I'm your person. Please come to me with speech concerns. I'd rather have a conversation with me right. and you before we like throw up the alarms and everybody, you know, we have to have an IEP meeting kind of thing. So getting ahead of the concern and just being open to that communication Um, I also always like to say, let's give it six weeks. And that's usually my gauge of how well it might go. Let's take some data. Let's put in some supports. Let's see if it works. And in six weeks, if the data is showing that they're just not attending or like able to make that connection with their therapist, okay, then maybe we look at moving it to in-person. But I think it's always worth trying. And that's usually what I'll tell districts and parents is like, it can't hurt to try. It's probably going to be successful. I don't have a, a metric to say oh, it's sixty percent or something, but like most of the kids that I've worked with, it's been successful. So I say it's worth trying. It's better than not having a therapist the whole time. Right. That happened here. We're working with uh, a local district, and um, I had a contract with them a couple years ago, and they refused to do telepractice. And I was like, okay, I'll look for in person. I don't love it, but at least it's local, so I can supervise it. I couldn't feel it. Nobody wants to work here because it pays so little. They're going to go up north to Georgia or they're going to go down south to Jacksonville. They don't want to be here. So I I told them point blank, like, I can't fill it. I can fill it tomorrow if it's telepractice. And what they did instead was have kids go two years without services. So I can only meet them halfway. How is that? How is that even possible? They're waiting for a lawsuit. Yeah, I know. It's not. It's not. Yeah. That's what I had a friend that um, she messaged me about a student that wasn't able to get services at the school or the school didn't have a therapist is what she said. And it was Mm -hmm. interesting to me because I know this is a district that's already lost a $2 million Mm -hmm. um, lawsuit Mm -hmm. for not providing services and not having accommodations for Mm -hmm. children with disabilities. And I was like, it's wild pass it on to the district and have them give me a call on behalf of this family. I haven't started having this conversation, but I think I'm going to have to, whether it's a parent or a school district to say, you may not like it, but telepractice is here to stay. We have a huge shortage nationwide of SLPs. We're not paying them enough. In fact, we're seeing pushback on rates going down, even though we've had what, 10, 15% inflation this year. So obviously people need more money to eat. Um, and I like to just do cost of living raises anyway. I think, I don't think it's appropriate that you're paid the same thing you were 10 years ago. That doesn't make any sense. So I have to raise prices with districts so I can pay people more that, Mm -hmm. yeah, I could eat into my profits a little bit, but sometimes I have $5 to work with and there's not, not a whole heck of a lot to go into overhead or anything like that. Forget my salary not happening. So, um, I think I'm going to have to start having that conversation more to just be like, I get, you don't like it. And it's not what you're used to. Maybe you had a bad experience before, but your right. alternative is no services right. because we have such a shortage and, and, and or you live in a rural no high cost of Yes. And the, you know, those districts don't have that $2 million to spend. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're playing fast and loose sometimes. Right. Right. And so, yeah, do so you- sometimes you just have to have that frank conversation of mm-hmm. it's, it's, this is the research behind it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt the students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, if we're thinking about the concept of like do the least amount of harm, it's not going to hurt the students to try no. telepractice. Going without services is going to hurt the student. That's a really good framing. If you don't mind, I'm going to steal that. Right. I like that a yeah. lot. <laughs> so do you think some of this is like seeing telepractice as less than as sort of a stopgap measure? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we don't, really need to do this because we're going to hire someone full-time mm-hmm. and it's sort of these sort of just uh ignorance of some of the administrators i hate to say it that way but it's just not knowing yeah. how effective telepractice can be not even maybe just that that's definitely a part of it i also think they just don't have a good grasp on they're not they're not offering a lucrative enough offer to get people to come. You can't get direct hires because you're not paying enough or you you put them on a teacher salary and they're they're making the same thing as somebody on a bachelor's level or you you don't reward that they have 20 years experience because only 3 have been in the schools. That kind of stuff. So yeah. and so you have the double layer of like, well we don't want telepractice and we also don't want a contract company. And I'm like, again, you're going to not have anybody. So right. pick the the lesser of two evils, so to say, not that we're evil, but like it, right. you got to pick one. So um, I think it's a bit of that as well as just kind of being out of touch with like what therapists are experiencing in terms of like cost of living increases and increased yeah. workload and, you know, yeah. lack of respect. And that's probably a big part of why we have such a shortage. It's yeah, it's it's a crazy time. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hate that you've had to deal with some of this stuff and have to navigate all this. Yeah. You so know, recently. I actually feel very lucky about it. Um, me shifting out of therapy has been remarkable for my mental health. Um, I still love the field. I, I, I like to talk about speech and telepractice, but I'm not meant to do therapy all day, every day, at least at this point in my career. Um, I just, I was not very happy doing that. And I had a big like existential crisis about that because so oh, much sure. of my identity for so long when I was in undergrad and grad school and a CF and for mm-hmm. how many years after that was, I'm an SLP. That's what I've always trained to be. That's right. what I've always wanted to be, right? Like right. I, my career is really important to me as a strong, independent woman. And then I got there and I was like, <laughs> this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. What? Oh no, what does that mean? Who am I anymore? So I really had to shift my perspective away from like your money is or the, the money that you make has to be tied to a minute by minute of what you did. Like I think we get so much in that mindset because it's like, well, I, I only get reimbursed on 15 minute intervals. It's not a salary yeah. for most of these positions. Yeah. Um, and then also, how can I help people in a way that's maybe not right on the ground with them every single day. Um, And so it's actually been good shifting into this more admin role and having to deal with some of these things. It's it's better than what I was doing. I I like the puzzle. It's frustrating, but I like being able to try and affect change for the people that were in that therapist position because I'm in this admin Mm -hmm. level and I can, you know, talk to the districts or talk to the families that we're working with and say, this is why what we're charging is what we're charging, or this is why that we set it up this way, just kind of advocate for my therapist so that their job is a little bit easier. I will say it's been a harder year <laughs> this year trying to get that to happen, but I feel like we're we're making small but impactful changes that that's what matters to me. I want to make the the services that we're providing and the quality of them better than when I found them. So that that's what really matters to me. Yeah. I remember the last time you were on, you talked about it being the treadmill of daily mm-hmm. services. And mm-hmm. that just like, that was an aha moment for me, just mm-hmm. like put into words what yeah. was so hard about it right now yeah. is like every day I see students, I bill for students, I plan mm-hmm. for the students and it just goes on and on. So I like, you know, people that step outside of that role 
and maybe not completely even, mm-hmm. but find mm-hmm. those other things that I can, you know, I can do a podcast. I can teach people. Mm-hmm. I can re- be a supervisor. I can reach out in these other ways and mm-hmm. don't have to be my identity as an SLP just being I provide services to to students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if, if that's somebody's mm-hmm. like cup of tea, that's how you want right, to identify exactly. or you like doing therapy. I'm not like shaming that at all. That it's, it just, it wasn't me anymore. So yeah, I know we sure. need people that love it and do it well. And it makes the world go round. I, I couldn't exist in, in the capacity that I'm in, in my position without people who love to do that. So very grateful for people that continue to do it. Uh, but I think it's important that if you start getting to that burnout level to right. reassess it, first at the job level, like, is this the right fit for me? Then even looking at like the career trajectory, is this where I want to go? One thing that I really struggled with as the SLP was like, I kept trying to get promoted. I wanted to do admin. I wanted to do supervision. I wanted to do maybe even assessments, just, you know, like a um, less therapy kind of thing. I like the mm-hmm. yeah. That's kind of my jam, right? So I don't mind doing IEPs and evals and stuff. And it just never happened. I kept knocking on that door in many different companies because you know, typical millennial, I stay about one or two years at a company before I leave because I just wasn't getting any any sort of you know advancement at all, whether that was in terms of salary or the position that I was in. So I made my own and it took a really long time. Yeah. I worked part-time um, on my business for years before I was finally able to go full-time um, and that's okay. That worked for me. I think a lot of people do that. You know, it's very mm-hmm. scary to jump into doing your business full time when you don't have benefits or uh, savings or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting transition. I'm very happy for it, though. Great. Um, another thing you mentioned in there was things like rate increases, cost of living, inflation, mm-hmm. all of those things. How do you approach that with schools? How do you say like, hey, I think we need to change our rate? I've just been very frank. I, I talk about okay. cost of living. Um, so when I was talking to this other district, um, we when we first started, we met the rate of a previous company that they had. Um, and I was fine with that because again, it was flat rate. So I'm like, I know we're not getting the highest hourly rate that we can, but it's guaranteed hours. So I don't really care. Right. Now that they're kind of nickel and diming and they started adding a work log and they're like, well, you only had six hours this day instead of seven or eight. I'm like, okay, now we're nitpicking that. I'm I'm a little bit more hesitant to just jump into like this guaranteed hour sure thing. So if you if you want to mm-hmm. nitpick, we're going hourly and it's going to be a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. So I try to couch it in that way where I say um either this is the price that we gave you because it guaranteed us the hours and it was a flat rate kind of thing. That's why it was such a deal. Also, we've had it for a couple of years and cost of living has gone up tremendously. I'm sure you've experienced that in your, you know, gas buying mm-hmm. habits that you've realized it's like 12% more expensive. So mm-hmm. um I try to just couch it in being really frank. Like I'm I'm not trying to get a fast one over on you. I'm not trying to gouge you. It's expensive. It it is. Right. And uh unfortunately, we're just we're getting some pushback that they're not willing to work with that. Um, and so maybe it's not the right time to work with them. I can only keep it so low for so long because I am getting feedback from my therapists and people who are interviewing with me where they're like, it's not enough. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. thank you for acknowledging that. Um, I'll see what I could do. And sometimes I can't do anything, you know, so I I don't want to be complicit in that continuation of just low paying jobs. I don't want to just sit here and make my salary off people making pennies. That's not cool. But it's hard when the districts won't give you an inch. You're like, well, I guess we're not doing it then. It's it's really hard. That's been the hardest thing I think this year. Yeah. And it's so it's so hard, too, because like everyone else is that district is also impacted by the cost yes. of living and everything and cost of services and everything mm-hmm. like that going up. So it's mm-hmm. just like this like domino effect that 
you know, it's hurting all of us. It is, yeah. In this in this way. But I like how you said that you're just fairly like frank and honest about this is this is what needs to happen and this is why. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I don't I'm not a good like corporate schmoozer. I'm never gonna have like a beautiful <laughs> way of saying it. It just it sucks. I'm sorry, but I we gotta do it. So I'm just gonna tell you. Yep. Yep. I think I that's, like it. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the way is- that things just need to get done. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if be... they can't meet us here now, I, I am somebody that will go back to districts later if we parted ways and say, hey, I know it wasn't, you know, maybe the best fit for us a couple of years ago. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Um, so I try to keep doors open, even if we maybe ended on not the best terms, not like it wasn't like a big blowout or anything. But I, I like to imagine that just because something wasn't right at one point in time doesn't mean it always has to be that way, unless it you know was like horribly abusive or something. But for the most part, that's not been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so if they say no, then what? Uh, I leave the door open. I do. Okay. I uh, For a while, depending on the school, I'll probably check in with them. Hey, I, I know a couple months ago we talked about you were trying to find a district hire, wanted to see if you found anybody. We still have some people right. who are interested. It's been a lot of radio silence this year. I don't know if administrators are just more busy than they were. I've had so many meetings with principals, social workers, other SLPs, SPED directors, like all the people that would be helping to make this decision. They'll have this great meeting with me, like as an intake call, I send them some information and then nothing for months. It's, it's bizarre. So now we're in this stage where we're like, well, we just passed October. You're probably at desperation point. So let's check in again. I I don't like to capitalize on that, but it's true. Like they, they waited to get a district hire. It didn't work out. Now we need to get a fill. Yep. Yep. And so you're not for the sake of your therapist's wages and your own wages and everything like that, you're like, this is my rate. You take it or leave it. For the most part. For the um, most part. It, it depends on where we are in the cycle of okay. sales. For example, if we recently lost four people, we're probably a lot more likely to take a lower paying thing just to get <laughs> right. some more business going because right. we need that volume. It becomes a volume game. And unfortunately, that's what some of the big companies have. They just they have the volume that they can charge an hour to districts because they have so many of them that it Mm -hmm. works out in the end that they, you know, arguably they're not paying their therapists a fair rate anyway. But um, when you're small and you have one to five contracts, let's say you cannot afford to be charging 50 to $60 an hour, nor should you be honestly, but we start to get into this like unwinnable cycle because we've got other people who are bigger and more established outbidding us. Um, so in some places I will say this is the rate, especially if it's a high cost of living area and they want somebody in person, I can't go lower. If it's one that we're trying to get a foot in the door and maybe I have a little bit more wiggle room, I would consider offering a lower rate, um, and just taking less in terms of overhead so that my therapist still gets what they deserve. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. Well, Marissa, do you uh, want to be subjected to our moment of Zen again? Absolutely. I remember the last one. I think you asked me something about who would I like to see when I go to heaven? And I love that question because it made me think about my dogs. And it was sad, sweet. So I'm excited to see what you got today. I know. That's that's our one that's on every list. So I guess we know the answer to that one. one. Yeah, it's my dogs. (laughs) So we have list A, B, and C. Which one do you want? Do you remember which one I did last time? I don't. Okay, let's do. <laughs> but we've changed them up some. Oh, okay. Let's... If you remember any of the other questions, we could maybe figure it out. <laughs> okay, okay. If I remember, I'll tell you. Let's try C. Okay. C. Okay. Um, where did you grow up, and how did that affect who you became? 
Mm. Um, so I was born in Indianapolis and we lived there until I was about 11. Then we moved to Carmel, which is a suburb about 30 minutes north. Uh, then I went to Bloomington to do my um, six years of school. That's just uh, like an hour and a half south of Indianapolis um, and stayed in the Midwest until 2017. I was in Chicago. Um, so very much born and bred Midwest. Um, how that's affected me. I don't know. I used to think that being Midwestern was like such a thing, but the more I live in different places and meet different people, I don't know that it's really that unique. There's like some kind of like cultural ideas of like maybe being polite or when you go, Oh, when you bump into people, we all say that. (laughs) I don't know if there's like anything specific that has changed. Like, Oh, because I was born in the Midwest, it made me do this and that, or it changed my personality in this way. Maybe just being a little bit humble, (laughs) a little humble in things where we say sorry a lot. Do you think there is a Midwest dialect that's kind of the U.S. standard? Yes, yes. I think when I think of like mainstream American English, like more or less what you hear from like an Ohio newscaster, that's what (laughs) I think of as Midwest. And then I moved to Bloomington and then I looked at uh, linguistic like accent maps and there's actually a little bump that comes up in like the Appalachian like mm-hmm. getting into that Southern dialect. And I noticed that I was like, wow, people in Bloomington talk differently, um, especially the townies, not the kid, the students that <laughs> live there. Um, but then I, I talked to people, I'm in Florida now and I talked to people in Florida and they sound just like me. So I'm like, maybe we don't, I don't know. Well, and then you get into, if you're in the Northern Midwest too, then you get the like yes. Minnesota, the Chicago oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. influence. Yep. Oh, Funny that. story. Yeah. My dad grew up in California and when he moved to Utah, he thought Utah was the Midwest. Oh no, that's the West. <laughs> I know. Cause to him, California was West. So if he was going farther East, then that was the Midwest. I would thought. Yeah. I would thought. <laughs> But yes, we are not the Midwest in Utah. <laughs> no, no. Um, question number two. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? Do you, uh, Have you seen Office Space? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember when he goes to the hypnotist? And I think it's the hypnotist that asks him, if you could do anything with your day. No, one of his coworkers says, "What if you could do anything, no money wasn't an option, or you had a million dollars. When a million dollars was enough to retire, what would you do? He says nothing. Honestly, nothing, not that. I mean, I wouldn't just sit there and slug all day, but what I mean by that is that like the way that I've shifted my, my job away from that, like 15 minute is how I get paid kind of thing. And that grind all the time. I was very much hustle culture for a long time. Now I've kind of stepped back and I'm like, I don't want that for my life. I want to be able to spend more time with my family, my dogs, my husband and I are planning to have a kid in the next year. It's really important to us that we get to spend time with them and go do fun things. Like we go to the zoo or we have dinner together. We want to have that like connectedness and um, enjoying things that are not just work. So I would relax a little bit. I would take things slower. And I've realized that in the past like year since I've stopped doing therapy, I'm so much happier and in the moment. For example, if I'm like, driving back from an appointment or something, I no longer get white knuckle angry behind the wheel because I'm going to be late to my next thing. I'm like, well, if I'm five minutes later, I don't really care. So that, that shift. So when I say nothing, it's, I'm still doing things, but I don't, I don't think I'd be like pushing myself to, oh, I have to be a vet. I have to be this. Like, again, I don't want my identity to get so wrapped up in what I do for a job. You mentioned office space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is that the swing line? (laughs) Fun fact. I I don't know if you steal that from Todd. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> Fun fact, uh, I heard that Swingline didn't make a red stapler. They made that for the movie, but it was mm-hmm. so popular that Swingline started making one. They started making them, great. right? Yeah, I think that's super cute. Yep. So not many people get that. So mm-hmm. it's a good um, movie. Oh, it was great. It was, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, it didn't do well at first when it yeah. came out. It was like a tanked. Mm-hmm. But right. now it's become sort of a cultural hit, yeah. you yeah. know. It's a cult classic, exactly. Cult classic, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing you searched for on Google? I hope it wasn't something embarrassing. What was it? It's probably shopping for something. Um, I'm really into like finding deals. So I'll go to like deal sites and just see like what's available. So if I had something in my Amazon cart for a while, I usually I'll, I'll say like, I like it, put it in my cart. And if I don't buy it for a month, I probably don't want it. And then if it goes on sale, I'm like, well, the universe wants me to have it. So it's probably some kind of deal like that. I, f- yeah. I feel like that's like a life hack too. put it mm-hmm. in your cart. If in a month you still want it, then yeah. buy it. Get. Yeah. Or I'll ask for it for Christmas or something. Yeah, exactly. There you yep. go. Um, what do people misunderstand most about you? Mm. I think sometimes because I'm introverted and quiet that people find me a little standoffish when they meet me. Um, and then when people get to know me, they're like, oh, you're, you're really warm and you're a really good listener and you're a good friend. But I think I come across mm-hmm. to people as a little bit brusque just because I, I'm not, so we teach <laughs> SLP, we teach kids social skills. I've always hated that. I'm like, who am I to be telling you about? <laughs> I am not the one. I understand your pain. So um, I don't know that I have that, that neuro spiciness to, to say I have like autism or something, but I definitely struggle with some of that. So that's probably people are like, she's weird. And then they find out I'm not that bad. I'm like you saying you're introverted. Maybe it's just because this is the, at least the third time we've talked. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that kind of shocks me in oh, this setting. No. <laughs> if I met you in person, I'd have like hands in the pockets. Like fun. I'd be Milton from office space. That would be me. I'd be mumbling under my breath and be really weird. And there's also something about like, Maybe this is why I tell, do telepractice. I do better on a video. There's like maybe it's not the proximity or like mm. I don't have to stare directly into your eye holes to to make a connection. Like you know I'm looking at you, but I'm not looking directly at your eyes. So right. no, maybe that's part of it. Okay, that explains everything. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Anything you want to know? There you go. Um, how do you relax after a hard day? We were kind of talking about this. Yeah. How do um, you, what do you do? Is it wine? Is it the dogs? It is dogs. I always, if I'm, if I'm on the couch or like snoozing in bed, dogs are with me like Velcro. So always, always dogs. Um, I'm honestly not a good like example of what you should do with your free time. Cause it's a lot of just like mind numbing nonsense. Like, let me scroll kind of thing. There are things I like to do better. And I'm trying to get back into that habit of like, um, crafting like painting things or making miniatures recently this weekend we went to a fast cat thing which is like lore coursing we have whippets so they're super fast so we took mm. our puppy that just turned a year old and he was went fast like ran through that so i'm trying to get more involved in like things with my dogs like you know hobbies and movies and tv and books that i've been meaning to watch for three years like i still haven't finished a bunch of anthologies <laughs> that i was like yeah i'm gonna watch that so um what i'd like to do and what i actually do might be two different things Gotcha. But you're trying. You're getting there. Yep. I I get stuck in the scroll too. Yeah. Like thinking the other day, I was like, there's even like even watching TV seems like a thing that you accomplish now. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of like passively sitting and scrolling on something. Yeah. 
I'm trying to get out of that mindset to to go like, let me be in the moment. Let me just right. enjoy what I'm watching instead of sitting there and like half listening while I'm on my phone. Like yep. that's not enjoyable yep. for either of those activities. So I'm really trying to be a little bit more present in what I do and remind myself, like, if you just get in there and do it, maybe that is my neurospiciness. I get stuck in a loop where I'm like, I have to get up and do something, even if it's something I wanted to do, something fun. I've been meaning to do it for weeks. Yeah. Oh, I have to get up. So trying to get out of that headspace a little yeah. bit. I wonder, Todd, Todd, Todd looks confused a little bit. Maybe no, it's a millennial. He doesn't agree. For us. <laughs> no, I'm just listening. This is my listening face. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. Next one is what challenge in life shaped you the most? Mm. That's a good one. Um, so I guess the the career that my mom had until I was about nine, she was a waitress. And so my parents worked opposite shifts. My dad worked during the day. My mom worked during the night. And I didn't get to see her a lot because, you know, I was up during the day and went to school and everything. So I, I missed her a lot. Um, and it, it was just tough having, you know, that kind of that different shift. Um, she went back to school and she trained to be first a medical coder and then became an editor. So she got to switch to day shifts and had a much more reasonable schedule where we could spend more time together. So that was a really good example of like, you don't have to be in the thing that you were in forever, the thing that you trained for. And I know that she didn't go, she went to college. She didn't go to college to be a waitress. No offense on waitresses at all. They make the world go round sure. fine. Sure. But, um, that was a really good example to be like, you can reinvent yourself. And I, I don't know if I told you this, my mom actually started her own LLC to do freelance editing work couple of years before I started mine. So maybe 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And that she was honestly the biggest uh, um, idea of like, this is possible. Be I was like, mom, my mom did one. I can do one. I didn't know what I was doing. I was two years into my career. I arguably should not have done it, but great learning experience out of all of it. And I got to give my mom a lot of credit for being that really good example of like, this is what you can do. Awesome. And what, uh, what does she edit? Is it uh, manuscripts of books? Or um, well, she used to work for the for dummies company. Um, oh, yeah. So like puppy, she didn't do puppies. She didn't get to do the fun ones, flowers and puppies <laughs> and honey making. She got to do like Excel and boring software stuff. Um, <laughs> and so that company, um, I think outsourced. So they she got laid off from that one. But when she was doing uh, more freelance stuff, she was doing like demography articles, nice. um, academic papers, you know, more technical mm -hmm. books kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's, she's really good. Um, I wish she'd gotten to do puppies for dummy just once, just to do a fun one, but I don't think she ever did. <laughs> so if you ever pull up a, a for dummies book, you know, in a, probably a thrift store, cause I don't think they sell them anymore. If you look for Teresa Artman, that's my mom. Okay. I, I have some of those books on my shelf. Actually. Yeah. Take a gander. <laughs> so, she might be in there. That's a, that's small world. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. When are you most productive? Hmm. Probably afternoon to midnight. Sometimes it'll be about three to six. Sometimes it's about 10 to 12. It is never first thing in the morning. I've never been a morning person ever, ever. Um, speaking of family, I learned that my great grandmother on my mom's side was also never a morning person. And this was in the era of like morningness is godliness kind of thing. You were, you were not a good person if you <laughs> right. didn't get up. She couldn't mm -hmm. do it. I mean, she was a nurse and she tried and she worked good work ethic, but like she could not get up in the morning. So that's me. I just, I wake up at six with the same amount of sleep versus waking up at nine. I will be better at nine. So that's been a nice shift in being able to determine my hours a little bit more. That's what I loved about telepractice in the first place. Like I had people in California. I wasn't working till 11. Great. I can do that. Right. And now <laughs> I work when works for me. So if I, I'd rather start my day a little bit later and if I have to work till midnight, it's okay. It works for me, you know? 
Yeah, my right. husband regularly gets texts if it's before 11 a.m. that are something like, I hate my life. I don't want to do this mm-hmm. anymore. And then by the afternoon, I'm fine. <laughs> and yeah. I have to remind myself, like, Kim, you don't hate your life. It's just before it's 11 a.m. It's just the morning. <laughs> this, so side tangent, but I think you'll find this interesting. I've been on um, TikTok lately watching some videos about the shift in work culture. And supposedly, millennials are acting as kind of the bridge between boomers and Gen Z. But Gen Z is coming in with totally different ideas about what's important to them. So when I'm talking about doing nothing, it's almost that like my, my, again, my identity is not my profession. They're not as like work culture. Like I'm going to stay there. I'm for 30 years. I'm going to get that watch. I'm going to get promoted. They're like, I don't care. So they're pushing for a big four day work week. And I think we're seeing a shift culturally that I hope actually continues that like we're, we're not meant to just work eight to 10 hours a day with no break to go to the bathroom. Even it's not sustainable. And I think we've been in such a like work-centric, over-the-top culture for so long that like boundaries have just been encroached on for you right. know the past, since the Industrial Revolution, honestly, but especially right. in like, I would say the past 30, 50 years. Um, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see where that goes because yeah. I think there is so much more to life than just working that job forever. And we're not seeing the kind of reciprocity that we used to in terms of benefits and mm-hmm. compensation and respect and all that collaboration in the workspace. So let's see if we don't do that anymore. What happens? Yeah. The other thing I've seen with that is um, more about like female empowerment and things like that, Mm. too, that the 40 hour work week was designed with the assumption that someone was at home doing Mm -hmm. all of the at home things Mm -hmm. that needed to be done. And so when all of us are working when both Mm -hmm. people in the house are working Mm -hmm. 30 to 40 hours a week, which you basically have to. I know very few people Mm -hmm. that don't have to in these days. And it's just like, that's why we feel like we're failing because it wasn't set up and designed for us to be able to do it all. Yeah. Small example. I heard people saying, well, of course you're exhausted. You come home from an eight to 10 hour day and then you have to cook dinner and get the kids to bed and do all this cleaning. You don't have any time for yourself or actually connecting with your family. And they're like, you weren't meant to. For all of history, it was never two people were working outside the home and then came home and had to do the full-time job of house house everything, right? Right. We had people that cooked for us. We went out to eat. We had more opportunities that we weren't working all day that we could actually prep our food and sit down and eat it and enjoy it together. So I don't know. Things have just kind of shifted in a gross way for me, like in work (laughs) culture. And I'm trying to make some changes in my own life, changes for my workers that maybe we can balance that a little bit better. But unfortunately, until I think we have a a big cultural shift, you're just going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I agree with you. I think there is a shift coming. We'll see how, how far it goes, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I agree. Um, what's your favorite comfort food? Mm. I don't like that question. People always ask me that. And I, I'm such a, I'm not a purist. I'm like, oh, well, that feels good today. I'll eat that. What's a favorite food that you keep going back to? Lately, it's been tuna melts. Um, I get on like an obsessive kick where I have to eat that food every day for about a month. So lately it's been tuna melts, which is not something I would have said maybe a year ago. I'd eaten maybe five of those in my entire life. And now I've eaten dozens. So that's my comfort food right now, but not representative. Yeah, someone calls it a hyperfixation meal. Yep. yep. <laughs> I'm telling you that neurodivergent. I know. A hyperfixation it. meal. The thing that I heard about that is if you have things like that where it's just like the same every day, then it frees up space in your brain to make mm. other more important decisions. That's so right. I, every morning, and I, you know, my cholesterol might not look great because <laughs> of this, but every morning, I like the only thing I want to eat is a Jimmy Dean 
croissant sandwich mm-hmm. <laughs> that you put in Ooh. the microwave. Yep. And it's yummy. like, and even when I have other options, I'm like, I can't, I, my brain can't think of like eating anything else but that. So for like three years. So there's my hyperfixation. <laughs> I really like that perspective. That feels me, makes me feel a lot more empowered and like right. purposeful with what yeah. I'm eating. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, it's like, because I, I have other decisions to make. I yes. can't think about the food. Yes. Yeah. That's they nice. said it's like, it's like the same idea that like, presidents of the united states just kind of have a uniform that they wear every day mm-hmm. oh, okay so they don't have to worry about like what i'm gonna wear today because they have more important things to think about exactly well i appreciate that perspective that gives me a lot more grace <laughs> makes yep. me feel better mm-hmm. about the weird me food too. that i ate me for too. <laughs> elise myers was the person i got most of that from she's mm. a she's a great follow on instagram <laughs> nice there is there is sort of a is it's sort of a brain brain overload that mm-hmm. those kinds of uh, not um, sort of everyday tasks, rudimentary tasks mm-hmm. that you kind of get programmed. So like you're saying, your brain can be free mm-hmm. to yeah. do other things. Yeah. So well, think about how many times like your partner said to you, what are we having for dinner? And you're like, why do I have to decide? Why is that oh, onus on me? I don't know. My brain's done for the day. You decide. Right. That. <laughs> I mean, we should meal prep. It's it's my fault anyway, but <laughs> it drives me crazy. Oh, I know. I know. We have we had that conversation before we started tonight here at my house. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's what was the best concert or live performance you've ever attended? Okay, I'm tooting my own horn a little bit here. Um, but being a part of it was part of why it was so cool. So in um my senior year of high school, um, I played cello classically for 10 years. That's what I thought I wanted to do when I went to college. Um, for better or worse, I didn't get into music school, so things shifted. <laughs> But um, I I loved it. It's all I wanted to do. Um, really passionate about it. And when I was 18, we got to go to St. Petersburg, Russia, to um, for a week to tour things. We got to play in these enormous, gorgeous 1700s cathedrals and mm-hmm. um, concert halls. I mean, the the acoustics in those were phenomenal. So we had one concert. We were playing with um, a adult slash kid orchestra there. So we all played together and. Um, we started playing this, like, I think it was from World War II, this um, 1940s, like, march. Uh, and it's the song that they played when the soldiers came home from World mm-hmm. War II. So these little babushka grandmas came out into the aisles and started, like, stomping and clapping their hands because they knew the song and they were whooping it up. They loved it. And just the magic of, like, playing a song that those people loved so much mm-hmm. in a place that was so reverent for me, it, it was magical. So by far, best concert I've ever been to. That's so cool. That gave me chills when you were telling. <laughs> yeah, that story. it was really, really that's, cool. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I and wish I, I could go back. I'd love to, but I know it's going to be a long time before that happens. Right. My my best concert, Barney. I went to see Barney. No. <laughs> How old were you? I took my kids. No, okay. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, whatever floats your boat. That's cool. They're bringing Barney back. Do you know that? They're no, gonna, they're bringing him. The big dinosaur back. Are they going to give him a revamp in a different costume? I just heard that they're bringing him back. I'm not sure if it's going to be like someone in a big costume or is it going to be like cartoon? Like I'm a not CG? Sure. Oh, make him not CG. Or CG, no. maybe. No. I don't know. I just hope they change that intro song. I can't do that one. Oh, God. No. Oh, God. <laughs> now it's going to be stuck in my I know. Head. I'm sorry. I, I planted it in your head. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm not going to sing it. So here, here's your question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did good. 
whatever that means to me at the time, if I made a good impact on the world or I made good connections with people or I just wasn't a monster, you did good. That's, I just want that validation. Like, yeah, you were doing the right things. That'd and be nice. See all your dogs from before. See yeah. all my dogs. That's right. That's all I want. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, Marissa, how can people reach out to you if they want to ask a question or just connect? Yeah, definitely. I love talking to people. I just got an email from somebody today who took one of my CEU courses and asked some great questions. So definitely feel free. Um, you can reach me at Linguabilities. Uh, it's just L-I-N-G-U abilities, all one word. You can go to that website. My contact information is on there. If you want to get me on Telepractice Connect, you can also do that, just telepracticeconnect.com. You can read about either of those two businesses, ask me questions. Um, just say hi. That's cool. I like talking to people. Great. Well, thank you for joining us and good luck with everything. Yes, definitely. So good to see you guys again. I want to thank Marissa for joining us on the podcast and go check out what she's doing over at linguaabilities.com or at www.telepracticeconnect.com. And thank you for joining us on this episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us that five-star review that always helps us to attract new listeners and move up in the old rankings. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.